Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John. The Gospel record of John in chapter number 15. The Gospel record of John and chapter number 15. We're in a series that we are finishing up in just a couple more messages of Jesus Christ and the Upper Room Discourse. And it's during this time that Jesus Christ realizes that he has only a matter of hours before he has gone to the cross. And in just a couple of hours, he's going to be arrested and placed on a false trial. In a couple of hours, he's going to be put in a verdict of death and brought to the Romans to carry out sentence. And it's during the time the people that once said, uh, Hosanna, praise to our king, that they are going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. In just a matter of hours, he's going to be facing the death of the cross. He is going to die and be put in a borrowed tomb. And Jesus knows that things are going to change for his followers, his disciples, who have been following him for three years. And so Jesus separates from the crowds and the masses. He separates them from everyone else and just takes some personal time with just him and his disciples to try to instruct them, to try to encourage them, to try to prepare them for the changes that are going to happen within a matter of hours. If you could just think in your mind, exam time has come. That God is not, Jesus is not preparing them for something that's going to happen 10 years from now. He's not preparing them for something that's going to happen in a couple months. The time is now. They have to have these lessons put in them now if they're going to survive and continue to keep their eyes on Jesus in the days to come ahead. So Jesus takes some time and to instruct them in what is called the upper room discourse. And he's taken time to wash their feet, to instruct them. Judas is left to go betray Jesus Christ. Jesus has gathered the other ones and begin to instruct them and try to tell them that things are going to change. And then at the very end of chapter 14, Jesus abruptly gets up from the table and says, let's go. And they begin to walk down the valley from Jerusalem down into the valley up into the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's doing that through chapter 15 and chapter 16, he is instructing his disciples on the go. That as they're moving past Jerusalem, walking through the valley, he's instructing them, beginning to teaching them in chapter number 15. And so this is where we're picking it up. In chapter number 15, as Christ and his disciples are walking together, notice as he instructs them as they're walking. John 15 and verse number 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches." He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. 
For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for a servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of John, the gospel record of John chapter number 15. The gospel record of John chapter 15, and notice the phrase in verse number 5. Where it says, the vine, I am the vine, ye are the branches. I am the vine, ye are the branches. We're going to simplify that with the idea of the title, the vine and the branches. The vine and the branches. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. I thank you that you are a life giving God. That as we abide in you, you give us life. And not just life, you give us fruit. Much fruit. Fruit that remains. Help us to be people that desirous of that fruit. Desirous of being used by you. Desirous of having a personal relationship with you that bears the test of time. I'm asking that you would work by your Holy Spirit to put something inside of us that we would want and desire to abide with you. To be close with you. To have that relationship as Jesus is instructing his disciples here, let us learn the same lesson in preparation for the days that are ahead of us. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds our hand. We do know the God who never changes. So again, we come up to you and ask that you do something special today. That you would draw men near and have a desire for them to be part of you. Again, just fill me with your spirit that you would get accomplished exactly what you want done today. Give much power, much understanding, and much grace. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ again has grabbed his disciples and now they are walking from the upper room in the town of Jerusalem. And have begun to wander down into the valley that separates the Jerusalem hills from the Mount of Olives. 
And Jesus is instructing them. Now they already understand that something is serious going on. Jesus has already told them that he's going away. He's going away. But he also told them he's coming back. And so as Jesus abruptly gets from the table and said, let's go. The disciples pack up and they travel with him. And Jesus is instructing and teaching them as they're walking through. Can you imagine Jesus as he's leading the way and the disciples trying to listen as he's instructing them and walking with them and talking with them? And this is exactly what he's saying. He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane because he's going to pray. He's going to pray to the Father that it would be God's will, not his. And he's praying knowing that he's going to the cross and the disciples are going to be left behind. How were the disciples going to last? How was Christianity going to continue on? How was Jesus' work to see that all men are, shall not perish but have everlasting life? How is it that Jesus who was to come to seek and to save that which was lost. How was that work going to continue? Well it continues as the disciples and us as we abide in Christ. Now, a lot of times you could use the phrase abide in Christ and on the surface, everyone will be in agreement to it. Yes, we need to abide in Christ, but we're not satisfied with just a surface agreement. We need to see what the Bible says. What does it mean to abide in Christ? What is it to have this relationship where Christ dwells with you and in you that he could get his work accomplished? This is a very important saying. Now, as we approach this, there are two illustrations and applications we get from here both for the individual and for the local church and so when it talks about the vine of the branches it's easily applied to the individual and to the local church so if you don't mind let's examine this text in detail and the first thing I'd like to show you in this passage is abiding in Christ abiding in Christ Notice, if you don't mind, as we see this idea that God is putting an illustration in terms that we can understand. He uses an illustration of a plant. And then he says that I am the vine, you are the branches. So if you don't mind, for the illustration's sake, let's understand what he's talking about. We can understand branches. Let's think of our mind a tree. In the Bible, the idea of the vine does carry the idea of the central branch, the tree. So we have apple trees here in this region. Let's imagine an apple tree. So you got an apple tree, and it is a nice, tall apple tree. But you just don't have the trunk. You also have the branches. Because it's from the branches that the fruit grows from. And so you have the trunk and the branches. Jesus says, I am the vine. I'm the trunk. And ye are the branches. And it's from the branches that the fruit is going to be bear from. Now, what is the purpose? Why do you have an apple tree? Is it for decoration? No, you have it to reproduce apples. Let's take a tomato plant that has a stalk and then has the branches. Why do you have a tomato plant for decoration? Do you ever look at the clear spot on your wall and say, you know what would be good there? Let's put a tomato plant. That would just liven up the place. No, you, the reason why you have a tomato plant is to bear fruit, to bear tomatoes. That's the purpose of it. And so Jesus is saying, you have a purpose to bear fruit. And for you to understand, I am the vine and ye are the branches. Let's examine this illustration when Jesus is talking about abiding in him. First of all, we understand as we're talking about abiding in Christ, the pruning work of God. The pruning work of God. Notice with me in verse 1. I am the vine, 
and my father is the husbandman. So here we have this illustration. Let's take a apple tree. Jesus is the vine. He's the trunk. But there's someone who takes care of the branches, and that's the husbandman. That's a job that they have. Someone who takes care of the vines. He takes care of the plants. His job is to make sure that the plant is healthy. So God, Jesus is the vine. He's the branch. God is the husbandman. He's the purpose of taking care of the plants. Verse 2. Every branch in me, notice this, that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. So again, the whole purpose of an apple tree is for it to bear fruit. If you have a branch that grows out from the tree, but it refuses to grow apples, in order to protect the health of that plant, you have to take the branch off. Now, you may give time and see if anything grows, but if that branch is there and it refuses to bear fruit, then it's a liability. It's something that doesn't need to be there. And the husbandman is going to remove that branch because it is not serving its purpose. It's taking food and nutrients that could be going to something else. And just in the illustration of the plant. So notice again in verse 2. Every branch that beareth not fruit. He, this is the husbandman, taketh away. God is the husbandman. His job is to make sure the plant is healthy. Alright, let's take the illustration of the individual. Alright. In the individual life, there are some things in your life that doesn't bear fruit. You know what needs to happen? It needs to be cut off. It needs to be cut off. Inside of a church, there are sometimes God does a pruning work and he removes some things from a church. Maybe some people, maybe something else. And he does that for the purpose that the plant produces more fruit. Notice as we go on in verse 2, every branch that, that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, notice this, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Inside of a plant, there are times that you have a healthy branch, but you have to prune some things off of it so it can grow better fruit, so it has the room to grow, so it has the purpose of it. Every plant, someone who's a botanist, someone who grows plants, some of you may have a green thumb. I think I sometimes have a brown thumb, but some of you who have green thumbs would understand that in order to make a plant healthy, you have to trim some things off of it from time to time, that it's necessary for the plant. Who's the one that decides what needs to be cut off? The husbandman. It's the husbandman who says, let's prune this. And he snips it off. He takes it off. He does it for the overall health of the plant that it may produce more fruit. That's his purpose of it. So again, looking at the individual, there are some things in order for you to be the fruit producing Christian God wants you to be, he has to prune some things out of your life. This is going to stop you from growing. This is going to stop you from producing more fruit. Let's take this off. So we understand there's an application here as well. That God is the one who does the pruning. And it is necessary. Notice again in verse number 3. You're going to see this emphasis placed all throughout this time that Jesus is talking with the disciples. Verse 3. Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. We understand that you cannot separate the word of God from the life of the Christian. You have to have the word of God. We're going to explain more in just a bit. But this is an overall theme woven throughout it. That you are not a healthy fruit producing Christian without the word of God. 
You cannot live the Christian life outside of the Word of God. That if you're not absorbing and digesting the Word of God, you are not going to be a healthy plant. You're going to be a sickly plant that's going to be, need lots of nurturing if it's going to produce something. So we see this idea of abiding in Christ. And the first thing we understand here is the pruning work of God. But we also see a second thing with this abiding in Christ is that abiding in him is our work. Pruning is the work of God. What is our job? To abide in Christ. Notice with me verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. The word abide carries the same idea as dwelling place. So when he's saying abide in me, he's saying live in me, dwell in me. When you set up a dwelling, you set up permanent residence. You're there a lot of the time. If your house is a home, it's where you dwell at. It's where you live at. It's where you stay. It's where you call home. Here Jesus is saying dwell with me, abide with me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine... No more can ye except you abide in me. So here we have this illustration of the tree. You have a nice big apple tree. And you have a branch that says, you know what? I can grow fruit all by myself. And so that branch is set aside. Is that branch set aside? Is it going to grow fruit? It's going to wither and die because it needs it. If you understand how a plant works is that it has a root system. And from the root system it takes nutrients from the soil. And it runs it up through the veins of a tree. And through the trunk into the branches. Now without that absorbing minerals coming from this roots. Uh, not Without that life giving things that comes from the roots. That branch will wither and die. It has to have it. The same thing's true about the Christian life. That if you are not plugged into Christ, if you're not abiding Christ, if you're not just grafted onto Christ, you're going to wither and you're going to die. If there's something strangling it and making it so the nutrients can't get to the branch, you are going to die. You are going to wither away. You are not going to do what you are meant to do and that's produce fruit. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in Christ. That we cannot be the Christians we ought to be without Christ. You know, oftentimes we would say it's ludicrous. The craziness of an idea of someone said, I could be a Christian. I could get saved without Jesus Christ. It can't happen. Neither can you live the Christian life without Christ. You have to have Christ. He is the source of it. He is the center of it. Notice as it goes on in verse 5. I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. Notice this. The same bringeth forth much fruit. Much fruit. If you want to know how you could bear not just fruit but much fruit. The secret is abiding in Christ. Dwelling in him. Being plugged into him. Now notice this saying. If you have never underlined this saying. Please write, underline it in your Bible. So you could see it. Be reminded of it. Verse 5. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me. And I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. Here's the phrase. For without me. Ye can do nothing. Nothing. Do you understand that you are incapable of doing God's work? 
I understand that may not sound correct, but you cannot do God's work. Only God can do God's work. We are just the instruments that God is using to get his work accomplished. It is not me, it is Christ. We have to recognize this. It is all about Christ. It is not me. I can do nothing. I can't save anybody. Jesus does the saving. All I can do is be the instrument used to tell someone about the Lord. But without him, I can do nothing. I cannot do God's work outside of God. God has to do his work. I have to be surrendered. I have to be out of the way. It is his power. It is him that is doing it. It is not me. I have to abide in Christ. That I cannot do Christ's work. This is such an important thing. So therefore, if only God can do his work, but yet I'm not abiding in Christ, I'm not receiving his power, I'm not plugged in, then I'm not going to be able to see the work accomplished through me. It's a simple thing. It is the critical thing of the Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life by yourself. You can't do it. You have to be plugged into Christ. You have to be grafted in. You have to have his power. It has to be him. It is all about Christ. None of me. All about him. Only God can do his work. This is the central thing. So as he's taking the disciples, he's pulling them aside. He's saying, boys, I want to let you know that you can't live the Christian life by yourself. You may try and you're going to fail. You think of Peter. In just a matter of hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. And, Jesus, and Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. You know what lesson he learned? That without God, he can't do anything. He doesn't have enough bravery to stand up a little, a little girl who says, Nuh-uh, you were a disciple. Nuh-uh, not me. You understand? You can't live the Christian life without yourself. Later on, Jesus has already risen from the grave. But because of Peter not abiding in Christ, he says, I go a fishing. When he says, I go a fishing in John 21, he says, he quit the ministry. I'm going back to my old job. And seven preachers quit with him. You know what happened? They were not abiding in Christ. So they didn't have the strength and the power to live the Christian life on their own. And they quit. They wither. They die. You cannot live the Christian life outside of Christ. You can't. We know that there's a culture of Christianity. The Bible talks about in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says that in the last days perilous times shall come. And it talks about how horrible things are going to be. But the telling statement is that in the middle of that passage. It says they, they ha- said they have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. People today have a form of godliness. They look good. They may sound good. They know how to say the right things. They have a culture of Christianity, but not the power of God behind it. That's the problem in our society today, is we have a culture of Christianity without being plugged into Christ and having no power. You think of today, where is the power of God? Where is the power of Elijah? Where is the God of Elisha? Where is the God of Jeremiah? Where is this God? Did he lose his power? Did he run out of gas? Did it diminish? Is he tired? Is he old? Where is this power? The power is still there, but people 
are not abiding in Christ. And we're not seeing the work that God can do in people's lives. Because we're satisfied with a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. This is why this lesson is so important. It's not saying, do you call yourself a Christian? It says, are you abiding in Christ? It's not saying, do you show up to church? It says, are you abiding in Christ? It's not saying, do you own a Bible? It says, are you abiding in Christ? It's not saying, do you do your checklist every day? I read my Bible. I read my Psalm. I prayed just a couple second prayer. It's saying, are you abiding in Christ? Because without him, you can do nothing. We look at churches today and we wonder where's the power thereof. Where is the people getting saved? Where is the lives being changed? Because there's no power. Because people are not abiding in Christ. We can't work it up. We can't fake it. We can't make it happen. It is only God that can do his work. Our responsibility is to abide in Christ. If you don't mind, let's see some more of what Jesus said. Not only do we see this idea of abiding in Christ, but I want to show you something else as Jesus continues with this idea, the fruitfulness in Christ. The fruitfulness in Christ. Now again, what is the purpose of an apple tree? To produce apples. What is the purpose of a tomato plant? To produce tomatoes. What is the purpose that God has for us? To produce not just fruit, but much fruit. God wants us to produce much fruit. So there's an idea of that we should have fruitfulness in our lives. Not because of us, but because of him. That is a result of us being plugged in to Christ. Notice this fruitfulness in Christ. Jesus starts off in verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So if you're walking through an orchard and you find a branch on the ground, you're not going to say, you know what? I hope this thing is going to produce fruit. Let me take it home and put it on my porch and I'm going to check it every day and see if it has it. No, what do people do with branches that are fall to the ground? They toss them aside. They burn them up. That's all they're good for. It is not going to magically produce fruit. If you don't believe me, you try it for yourself. You go grab a branch that's fallen off, you take it home and you could pet it, you could love it, you could tuck it in at night, see if it's not going to grow you some apples. This is a principle we understand. If it is not plugged into the vine, it's not plugged into the tree, it will not produce fruit. All it's good for is for burning. That's about the best use you could get out of it from there. But notice this. Here we understand when we talk about the fruitfulness of Christ... We start off with the soil that produces fruit. The soil that produces fruit. How is it that we could abide in Christ? Again, we talked about abiding in Christ. Now let's be specific. How do we abide in Christ? Let's take it from theory to practicality. What is this soil that produces fruit? Notice with me in verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Now remember what I said, this word abide means to live, to dwell. How is it that we can have fruit? If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. 
We must be reading and not just reading, but absorbing the Bible, the word of our life, and be obedient to it. Do you know that you can know a lot of scripture, but it does you no good because you're not obedient to it? You have to obey it. You have to listen to what it says. You have to fulfill it. It does you no good if you're not obedient to it. Also with that same idea, you have to have it dwelling in you. You have to have it saturating in you. You have to have it so it's so full in you that it's overflowing and coming out. That's the idea of abiding in Christ. We're not talking about checklists that said, all right, did you read your psalm for today and check it off? You know there's a difference between reading because you have to and reading in order to find God and to be with him, to abide with him, to dwell with him. This is the idea here. Why do not... Why don't Christians bear fruit today? Because they're reading their Bible as a checklist. Yeah, I read my Bible today. And they have to hurry up and get it done instead of looking forward to reading it. I can't wait to read my Bible. I can't wait to see about my Lord. As long as your Bible reading is a chore, you are not abiding in Christ. You have to be dwelling in Him. It has to be something. You cannot live the Christian life without side of the Bible. With much Bible reading... Much Bible dwelling, much power. Because the power is not us. It's in Christ. This is how we get it in it. As long as it's a checklist, as long as it's something that you read it in the morning and set it aside and don't worry about it the rest of the day, it does you no good. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis as a Christian is to read the word of God for yourself. You cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. If you're not in the Bible, you are not abiding in Christ. If you're not feasting on it, saturating, if you're not having it dwell in you, think about this. Does the word of God dwell in you? Does it have a home in you? Does it have a place where you could go find it at any time? Does you have it so much in you that it's pouring out of you? This is the idea of abiding in Christ. Are you letting his words dwell in you? Live in you? Abide in you? Are you a person of the scripture? Do people know if they hang out with you a certain amount of time, scripture's just going to come out? Talk about Jesus. Is it something, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? That's why Bible memorization is so important. If you don't have the Bible memorized, how are you going to recall it? How are you going to think about it? How are you going to dwell on it? You have to have it in you. It's not a checklist. It is a dwelling in Christ. The soil that produces fruit. What is the soil that produces fruit? It's a soil that's been prepared by the word of God. Notice this. The soil that produces fruit. But the Bible goes on and talks about the water that produces fruit. Notice with me in verse 7 here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. If we're abiding in Christ, notice this, God's going to answer our prayers. There's a line of communication. When we, when we read the Bible, God speaks to us. When we pray, we're talking to him. We can have a conversation. We could be with him. We can have our prayers answered. You understand that how your prayers are answered, if you're having answers to prayer, is proportionate to you abiding in Christ. Notice what it says. Verse 7, the first word is an if. That is a conditional statement. It is an if-then statement. If this condition is met, then this is the result. If you abide in me and my words in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. This is not saying that, you know what, 
I believe I'm dwelling in Christ. I want a red Lamborghini. All right, God, here it comes. What happens is that as you're in God's word, you begin to know him. You begin to sense what his will is. You begin to understand what his desires are. And you could pray, I know what God wants to get done here. I could see what's going to happen. And your prayers could be answered in amazing ways. Someone who's not seeing consistent answers to prayer is evidence that they're not abiding in Christ. You understand, you should be seeing prayers answered all the time. Not because of my prayer life, but because of who God is. Because of Him. Without Him, I could do nothing. My prayers even amount to nothing without Christ. It is Christ that gets it done. But as you abide with Him, as you get to know Him, you know what He wants to get accomplished. You know what He desires, and you could pray and see it happen. There is nothing like praying for someone to get saved. You know God wants them to be saved. You know that God's working on them. And you pray and you pray and you pray. And then they get saved. You don't go, yay, that was nice. You're excited about it. Look at what God did. You know, there's something missing. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Our God still has a lot of power. He's not going to run out. It's not, you can't outuse it. It's not something you save it. Well, I don't want to run out, so I'm just going to use a little bit of a time. God can answer major prayers as you abide in him and you know what he wants to get accomplished. You understand his will. You can see some amazing, powerful prayers that when it said it wasn't a coincidence, you know it was God that did it. But it comes with abiding in Christ. It only comes, that type of prayer life, when you abide in Him. We understand that we're talking about the fruitfulness of Christ. That the soil that produces fruit, the water that produces fruit. Notice this if you don't mind, the glory from the fruit. The glory from the fruit. Notice verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So that ye shall be my disciples. The word disciples carries the idea of followers of Christ. Literally abiding in him. Following after him. Now let's use logic here. Let's be very specific. What is the fruit of a Christian? Now we have a law in science called the law of biogenesis. That says every creature will reproduce itself. So let's take my apple tree. In a couple months can I expect some bananas to come from there? Why not? Because it's not a banana tree. It can only reproduce what it, what it comes up with. What it is. So I take my tomato plant. Alright, I grow. I can't wait. It's starting to form. Am I going to get a whale? No. The law of biogenesis says that a creature can only reproduce itself. So the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Another Christian. Now we know that we're not doing the saving, but we're the instrument used to see that fruit come up. Only God can produce it. He, we are just the vine that produces that fruit. Hereby is my Father glorified. How is God glorified? Wherein we produce much fruit. You understand? Another evidence that you're abiding in Christ is seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when we're not producing fruit, there's something wrong. Again, we can't make it happen. 
You can't say as a branch of a tree saying, come on, get up, apple, come on, apple, apple. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't come by force. It, doesn't come, it only comes as everything is working correctly. As it's coming from the source, from the, branch, uh, from the branch being plugged into the vine. And the vine producing all the nutrients that it needs, the power that it needs. The same thing here. That we see God is glorified as we are used as vessels to see people come to know Christ. Jesus does the saving. But when we're plugged into the vine... We will produce much fruit if things are working as the way should. And God is glorified by this. God is glorified every time someone gets saved. Every time someone trusts Jesus as their personal Savior. Every time someone has received forgiveness of sins. God is glorified because God did it all. It was God that did the work. As we're explaining the idea of fruitfulness that comes with abiding in Christ. We understand the soil that produces fruit. We can't... We can't have power without the word of God. That we understand the water that produces fruit. That it comes as we pray and understand God's will. See God's prayers. Or God answering those prayers. We see the glory from the fruit. That God is glorified as fruit is produced. We also understand the love shown by fruitfulness. The love shown by fruitfulness. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 9. As the Father hath loved me... So have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Here we go. Jesus has mentioned this several times now in these chapters. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you wanted a litmus test, if you wanted to say something that says, I want to see if I'm abiding in Christ, the question is, are you keeping his commandments? Are you being obedient to what God has given to you? That love is shown by this. How do we continue in Christ's love? If we keep his commandments. The proof of our love for Christ is in our obedience to Christ. Now, you guys have listened well. Let's finish this up really quick. As we're still talking about the fruitfulness, we see something else in this passage. The joy of fruitfulness. The joy of fruitfulness. Notice with, in verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, why is Christ giving to this? Is he looking for little slaves? No. He wants us to be satisfied. Do you understand that when you fulfill the purpose that you were created to do, there's much joy. Amen. An apple tree, now we're not testing its feelings and whatnot, but do you understand that the purpose of an apple tree is to produce fruit? And we who enjoy the fruit, we're glad to see the fruit there. Now for us, God created us and saved us for a specific reason. When we see that reason being fulfilled, we watch us being used. There's great joy. There is nothing like seeing someone bow their head and accept Christ as their Savior. Knowing that you were an instrument used to see that happen. When someone comes to church that we invited to come. Man, it brings great joy. We're so glad because we're being used of God. There is nothing like being used of God and having the joy that comes along with it. That's why sour Christians who are in churches all the time are worried about them. Where's your joy? Maybe there's something about not being plugged into Christ. You understand? God is doing all of this that our joy may be full. 
the joy that comes from fruitfulness. If you continue on, we see something else. This relationship with the fruit giver. We're talking about producing fruit. We talked about that we have to have the Bible. There's a prayer. We got to be plugged into it. But there's a relationship with the fruit giver. Notice with me in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Now remember Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. But he's heading that direction. He's marching to where he's going to be arrested to. He is on the path to the cross now. Do you understand how much power this had? That Jesus is looking at the disciples and telling you I love you. In just a couple minutes, I'm going to prove it. Imagine how powerful that is. I'm about to prove how much I love you. I'm going to die for you. Now, some of you may be some good people, but you are you good enough that someone else says, you know what, I'd rather die for you. Can I take your place for you? Let's say that you're sent to go to the electric chair. Do you have anyone who loves you enough to say, you know what, instead of them going to the electric chair here, I'll take their place. I'll be glad to do that. Anyone like that? Jesus says, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you. He's taken his disciples and said, we're going over here and I'm going to go die. I love you that much. Book of Romans chapter 5 verse 8. For God commendeth his love towards us. The word commendeth carries the idea of proving. God commendeth or proved his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what? You are a low-down, rotten, awful sinner. And Jesus died for you anyways. Why would he do such a thing? Because he loved you. You want to know how much God loved you? You look up on the cross and see him extend his hands. That's how much he loved you. He says, no greater love have no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Notice what he called the disciples. He didn't call them servants. He didn't call them uh, other people. He said you're my friends. You're my friends. Notice what he goes on and say in verse 14. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now again we know friendship is a two way street. That Jesus died for us. The least we could do is live for him. The very least we could do. Verse number 15. Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father have I made known to you. Notice this sweet change of relationship. He's not just our Lord. He's not just our master. He's not our slave driver. He's our friend. And he's glad to tell us what he's trying to get accomplished. You know as a servant sometimes you don't need to know what's going on. Some of you might understand as an employee, your boss doesn't have to tell you everything that's going on. You, it's nice every now and again, but they don't have to. Jesus said, you're my friends. Let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you what I'm trying to get accomplished. Let me tell you what's going to happen here. That's a different relationship. Again, maybe we could use that as an idea of abiding in Christ. Are you friends with Christ? Are you friends with Christ? Can you call him friend and he says, I know. Can you say, I love you, God? And he says, I know you do. Because it's shown by your actions. How do we know that we're, that we're his friends? By keeping his commandments. That's a friendship there. I love you, Lord. I'm willing to do what you've told me to do. Notice, if you don't mind, as we finish this up, 
we're, that those that were chosen to bear fruit. Those that were chosen to bear fruit. Notice with me in verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What we see here is almost a recap of what Jesus has talked to the disciples. He says, I want to let you know that you should have fruit and fruit that remains. How, how does this happen? He says, this is what I've done. I've chosen you. You know what God has chosen you to do? If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you know what he's chosen. You know what his purpose is for your life? For you to produce fruit. There's not a single one of you who've asked Jesus to be your Savior that God says, you know what? You're fine. I don't want you to produce fruit whatsoever. You just sit there and look pretty as a plant. That's all I want you to do. Every person who's been saved, God has a purpose for your life. Every single person who is alive, God has a purpose for your life. What is that purpose? That you may produce fruit, and not just fruit, fruit that remains. Fruit that's going to stay on. To see someone come to know the Lord as their Savior that's going to continue to live for God. Someone that's going to get saved to see other people get saved. You have a purpose, every single one of you. And God wants to use you. Every single one of you. There's not a single person in here that God says, you know what, there's no hope for you. I don't want to see you be used. If that was true, then why even come to church if God doesn't want to use you? If he doesn't want to do something in your life? The fact that God saved you, he has a purpose for you and he has chosen that you produce fruit. This isn't something just for the pastor or the pastor's wife. This isn't something for the deacon or the deacon's wife. This is for everyone who calls himself a Christian. God's purpose in your life is that you produce much fruit. Jesus is giving a recap. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit shall remain and that whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you love one another. Jesus has saved us so that we could produce fruit. And he wants us to produce fruit, but the dwelling in him is our responsibility. We have to choose to dwell in him. We have to be dwelling in Bible reading. We have to be trusting God in prayer. We have to be used of God to see people come to know Christ. These are things that are coming with abiding with him. So let me ask you of your life. Are you a fruitful Christian or a fruitless Christian? If we were to look at your life, you look at your own life. Are you producing fruit? Are you seeing God use you to reach other people? Are you an instrument? Now, Jesus does the saving. We're just being used of God. Do you have a fruitful life? If you say, you know, my life is not as fruitful as it should be, let me tell you what the answer is. For you to abide in Christ. Quite simply, some people this morning need to make a decision. I need to abide in Christ. This isn't something that I just do on Sundays and just say, hi, this was nice. But you need to make a decision to say, you know what? God does want to do something with me. I need to abide in him and let him use me. Some of us today, that's where we're at. Are you a fruitful Christian? If not, the answer is quite simple. Abide in Christ. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.